0: Our gospel reading this this morning is from Matthew chapter twenty-five. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. And He will put the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Now, I confess, I wanted to stop reading this scripture right here. But I was a bit incensed recently when public figures were preaching and using scripture, not only shortening it, but out of context. And so we would be negligent not reading the rest of this chapter and this from Jesus. For he continues, Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are cursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Will you pray with me? O gracious and loving God, your words are sometimes difficult to hear, but open our hearts to them, O God, that they may touch us deeply. And so may the meditations of all our hearts and our minds be pleasing unto you this day and always. Amen. There's an old story about a church picnic. Perhaps you've heard it before, but I'm going to repeat it this morning. There was a large congregation who decided to host a picnic on the banks of a clear blue river. The picnic grounds were a lush green, and the weather that day was perfect. The homemade food was plentiful, spirits were high, and the sounds of children running and laughter filled the air. The water was too cool for anyone to go in for a swim, But then suddenly someone noticed a person yelling and screaming from the middle of the river and they were clearly about to drown well one of the church members jumped in to help but the current was swift and so several quick-minded people tied some fabric tablecloths together and threw it out to the struggling duo and pulled them both safely back to shore well just when everyone had caught their breath and were about to return to their fun Someone saw another person floating downstream, clearly drowning as well. They pulled that person to shore, but before they could even take a breath, another drowning person came down the stream. This happened over and over again. Well, finally, someone spoke up and said, we might be here all day, pulling these drowning people out of the water, but what we really need to do is go upstream and find out what's causing them to fall in the river and drown in the first place. Well, that's exactly what we heard described this morning by Laura and the work of New Moms. They have gone upstream. They have looked at the causes and have put a mission and plan in a place to end the cycle of poverty. Yes, they are saving these women and their children from drowning, but they are also providing the tools that are necessary to end the cycle. Housing, job training, family support, and spiritual support all to offer a long-term, more impactful solution. The same is true for another of our mission partners, Beds Care. Beds began over 20 years ago by churches in the area that wanted to provide emergency overnight shelter for our homeless neighbors. It provided a much-needed life raft, but emergency shelter alone does not end the cycle of homelessness. And realizing this is when Beds became Beds Plus. And the critical tools of support were put in place, caseworkers, healthcare partnerships with pillars and community nurse and job assistants. And just a few months ago, the grand opening of 20 units of permanent supportive housing for particularly vulnerable individuals like veterans and those with disabilities. And we support other organizations that have the same philosophy of looking upstream, and addressing the root causes of things like hunger through our partnership with Foods Resource Bank, the root causes of poverty in Guatemala through our partnership with Common Hope, who not only provide housing, but education and health care. And of course, it is nearly impossible to interrupt the cycle of poverty if one is suffering either physically or mentally, and so it is important for us to continue our support of organizations like Pillars, Community Health, and NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. And when necessary, of course, we provide emergency financial support, like we did so frequently last year during the traumatic effects of so many hurricanes. But sadly, if you're like me, I inappropriately assumed that that crisis was over, until I learned just recently that in Puerto Rico alone, the death toll is much higher than we ever heard indicated, And the following the storm, 179,000 people left because there were not enough jobs, housing, or even clean water. They are now in an education crisis as well, with more than 266 schools having been closed. The Reverend Damaris Whitaker, a UCC pastor and one of the voices of the Poor People's Campaign recently shared this while visiting Puerto Rico. I have been here walking the streets and going to the schools, and it is the most vulnerable children, those who are hearing impaired, those who have physical needs, those who are physically challenged. They are the ones left without a contingency plan for their education. And while financially supporting these organizations is critical to their effectiveness, we also need to volunteer whenever and however we can. Oftentimes, this will require us to move out of our comfort zone, into a neighborhood we're not used to, working with people that seem so different than us, getting our hands dirty in ways we'd rather not get them dirty. For if we are truly to care for the poor, it means we need to know and understand the poor. Studies have shown that the poor are often viewed as lazy, simply lacking in motivation, these same studies show that it is our geographical separation, our losing contact with one another, that decreases empathy and understanding on all sides. Well, to solve this divide, we need to find more ways to come together as a people, to understand one another, and that means getting out of our comfort zones. It also means learning more about what actually causes poverty, it means looking upstream. Well, Christian H. Cooper, who grew up in a poor Appalachian town in Tennessee, was the eldest of four children with a household income that couldn't support one child, much less four children. Well, he penned a fascinating article recently titled, Why Poverty is Like a Disease. Cooper reports on the scientific discoveries being made about the physiological aspects of poverty, including that the stresses associated with poverty have the potential to change our biology in ways we hadn't imagined. It can actually reduce the surface area of your brain, shorten your lifespan, and increase your chances of obesity and make you even more likely to take outsized risks. Some of the early research indicates that the biology of this kind of stress can even shift how a person's genetic code is expressed. One of Cooper's main purposes in reporting on the science, however, is this. This science challenges us to reevaluate a cornerstone of American mythology and our social policies for the poor. It's known as the bootstrap. You know, the story of self-made inspired individuals transcending his or her circumstances by sweat and hard work. A pillar of the framework of meritocracy where rewards are supposedly justly distributed to those who deserve them most. But what kind of a bootstrap or merit-based game can we be left with if being born into poverty literally, physically cripples the contestants? Well Cooper goes on to tell his own story and how he did not break out of the cycle of poverty by bootstrap or even merit but simply by chance. He says he was lucky enough to meet a couple of mentors in his teenage years that helped him help himself. And so it begs the question, who might we be a mentor to? Cooper goes on to say, I have relatives and friends who are as bright and hardworking as I am with roughly the same kind of educational path or better, but none of them have broken out of poverty. One of them also got into community college, but not before he saw his drugged-up best friend kill himself. That proved to be a one-way ticket to a lifetime of emotional problems. Another was lucky enough to attend accredited public school learning far more than I ever did in my education. He ended up a heroin addict. They would not, as I did, find the path to graduation curiously free of obstacle. They would not become, as I did, head of a derivatives trading desk on Wall Street. They are not, as I am, writing about poverty. They are still living it. And as of now, I can count around 20 friends and family who have checked out my handgun or heroin. He concludes by arguing that we must end the myth of the bootstrap and pay attention to the science and the systemic causes of poverty Poverty alleviation programs like conditional cash transfers, for example, reward parents or caregivers with direct payment of taking actions, like ensuring school attendance or arranging for preventive health care. Research encourages stress alleviation and long-term planning that is far upstream of doing well on an exam that provides exactly the kind of certainty that a poverty-stricken brain needs. There should be more programs which focus on the long-term development of children, starting from birth, while reducing uncertainty during the first three years of childhood development. Thank you again, new moms. And frankly, it is the children I worry about the most. Did you know that nearly one-third of the poor in the United States alone are children? 13.3 million as of 2016. And now, my friends, we have created a whole new category of impoverished children. They are the children that we have separated from their parents crossing our borders. As Pastor Glenn Miles said this week, quoting the Apostle Paul, love does no harm to neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Clearly, love of neighbor is the highest law. He goes on to say, the debate over border security is one we should engage in with vigor and with the best of our intellect. Good people on both sides of the issue can recognize difference of opinion, and there is much to say about this emotionally charged issue. The law of love, though, is quite clear when we look at the families being torn apart. There is no other option for us than to do whatever is best for the children themselves. This means they will not be torn from their parents or housed in fenced in spaces, nor kept in tents in the middle of the hot desert. And as former First Lady Laura Bush said, in 2018, can we not as a nation find a kinder, more compassionate, and more moral answer to this current crisis? She says, I for one believe we can, and I for one believe we must. Yes, the active ongoing separation of families has reportedly been stopped, but those families already torn apart remain separated. We must look upstream to not only end this crisis, but end what caused this inhumane treatment of children in the first place. This is exactly What Jesus preached. Come, you that are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and I gave you food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was a child imprisoned in a tent in Texas and you saved me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a brilliant theologian and prolific writer, known chiefly for his staunch opposition to the Nazi's murderous regime and the Christian church's shameful acquiescence in the horror, advocated prayerful and meditative engagement with scripture. He believed that when we read or hear scripture, we must assume the posture that we are listening to God's specific word to and for us. And anything short of responding to what we read or hear is cheap grace. Action, he said, must follow what we believe, else one could not claim to believe it. Brother Robert L'Esperance preached on this very scripture in 2011, primarily about the economic conditions of that time, but ironically, Tragically, his words spoken seven years ago still ring true today, both economically but also regarding the separation of families, which has resulted in children with the poorest of spirits now and trauma that they may never recover from. Brother Bob said this, If this is God's word spoken directly and specifically to me, then what is it saying to me? What is it asking me to do? Would I get a lot of pushback from you if I were to say today that there is something terribly wrong in our country and our world? That's what I want to say here this morning. I want to say that I believe there is something terribly wrong. If this is God's word spoken to us, then we need to set about finding solutions and doing so with the poor in mind those who are economically poor, those who are poor in power, those who are poor in spirit. We cannot forget the poor and the powerless, even if it is nothing more than speaking up on their behalf, speaking to people we know, risking putting ourselves out there when we hear others forgetting about our responsibility as a nation to the poor, speaking for and on behalf of those who have taken to the streets or to the phones or to letter writing to protest policies and policymakers that protect and perpetuate a structure fraught with systemic injustice? Can we live in the Word of God while acquiescing in policies that punish the poor? Adults and children, our brothers and sisters, are drowning before our very eyes. We must not only save them from drowning, we must look upstream to determine what caused this travesty in the first place. For truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. If I do not hear these words of Jesus speaking directly to me, that abundant grace that God has bestowed on me will be as cheap as it comes. Lord, have mercy. Amen.